Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 16 as we continue through 2 Kings. As I continue to remind you, uh, 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles used to be one book. It was broken up into uh, four books, uh, which perfectly fits our canonized scriptures into 66 books which makes perfect sense because man's number is six. And when you uh, don't have these 66 books uh, in your uh, heart, then you're 666 and you will walk away from God and never uh, be completed. So in 16, if you remember, we, we um, are going through back and forth, back and forth. We've seen in 15... Uh, the northern kingdoms, always thinking of the northern kingdoms, ten tribes that were separated. A little bit of Benjamin went with them, and they called them Israel now. And it's really the northern tribes whenever, whenever you see Israel. But then the southern tribe, God separated and kept David's line on the throne. And there's Judah, and they're there at Jerusalem. And then just a little bit of Benjamin. I always say that because it's just there was a little bit of them that hung on. And stayed there. But when Jeroboam separated the ten tribes, if you'll remember, he went and made, he gets them separated. What, what do we have to do with the house of David? And they separated them. And then he got to thinking, man, they're going to go back to Jerusalem and I'll lose all my people. So what did he do? He made these golden cows, golden calves, and he set them up in Dan and Bethel. And now, and you probably heard me make the mistake because as I was preparing for this lesson, I go, oh, I've made that mistake. I keep saying Dan and Samaria or Bethel and Samaria, and I'm getting them mixed up. Samaria is where the capital palace ends up being. Ahab redoes a, a, a palace there and moves the capital of the northern kingdom to Samaria. But it's really Dan and Bethel that they put the calves at so that they could go worship and they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem and he wouldn't lose his people. So I just wanted to throw that out there and apologize for that. I'm sure I make many more mistakes, but in that mistake, I just realized that I had been saying it in a wrong way. So 16, um, we're going to continue with the line of Judah. And we'll bring in some other commentary that helps us understand what we were studying in our last lesson. So 16.1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, now of course Pekah is the king in the northern kingdom, his name means watch, Remaliah means protected by Jehovah, or Yah has uh, bedected, we just don't use these words do we, Yah has bedected, and that's what it is, it's bedected, and it means adorned or ornated, we don't even use the word ornated. But these, he's protected, and he's adorned him, and he's prepared him, and they're there at this time on purpose. So Pekah, the son of Ramalia, they are up in the northern kingdom. So here's the Judah, the southern kingdom. Ahaz, the son of Jor, or Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So they always do this when the history is given. He gives you something to kind of hang your hat on. He tells you who's reigning in the northern kingdom. So they're reigning up there. And now who's reigning in the southern kingdom? And so we see now that in uh, uh, Judah, southern kingdom, where Jerusalem's at, 
the tribe that's still under David uh, reign from his seed that Jesus will come out of, um, Ahaz is reigning. Now, Ahaz means possessor, or he has grasped. And I was, I was really, it was really interesting that Ahaz is only one letter different than Ahab, and I thought they would be more there, but there's not. You know, Ahab means uh, uh, father's brother or friend, and, and so Ahaz means possessor, so, or he has grasped. About the same thing. If you grasp something or possess something, you take possession of something. And how old was he? Ahaz, verse 2, was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And listen to this testimony that's on him, which is very important to understand. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. See, and it's very, I mean, what's the, what's the epitaph that we're going to have on our tombstone? What would somebody write about our life? He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. Listen, the eyes of the Lord everywhere, keeping, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He's watching everything, and he knows what we're doing. And, of course, we, we live in the righteousness of Christ. Our account, when the Lord looks, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So we know now that positionally we have righteousness. So, so the, the penalty for sin has been taken. And now the Holy Spirit, as we obey the Holy Spirit, as we follow the Holy Spirit, as we get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, the Holy Spirit wants to wash us and cleanse us and sanctify us and take the power of sin out of our life. Because if we're following the Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're living according to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be living in sin. So the power will be stripped away of sin so that we understand we do not have to sin to be in this body. That we can follow the Holy Spirit and he'll lead us into all truth and he'll guide us in the way we're supposed to go. So he said, here's the testimony because Judah has had some good kings and some bad kings, but most of them tried to do what was right. Listen, remember the testimony was always they had the testimony Northern tribes followed in the air or the sins of Jeroboam, the golden cast. They worshipped idols. They were apostate. No matter what the prophets, when, when Amos and Isaiah and them would come to them, Jonah come to them, they would come and preach to them, and they still continued to be apostate. They wouldn't wake up from their sleep. And we seen last week, what did we see? We seen in our last lesson that in 1529, Tilgath came down Assyria, they came down and took all of these cities you read up in there. They came and took Ejon, Abel, Meth, Baca, uh, Genoa, uh, Kadesh, Hazar, Gilead, Galilee, and the land of Naphtali, and he carried them away to Assyria. So we see the northern tribes who continued to resist God, continued to ignore God, continued to worship idols in the golden calves. We see that now they're being carried away. The beginning of the captivity is being taken is taking place. And you know what? Listen to me. We, sometimes we read this and we think, man, they were a powerful country. God raised them up. God raised Assyria up because his people were being disobedient. And he wanted to wake them up. When, when something bad happens, it's God trying to wake us up so we'll cry out to him. 
And Assyria only stays in power until God raises up Babylon to punish them for touching his people. See, God's a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy. He has not forgotten Israel, not even the northern tribes that, that continued to be apostate. God has not forgotten them. He has not forgotten their seed. This is his firstborn nation. He loves them. So he'll raise somebody up to attack them. And, and, and then we're going to see again, like I said, it's amazing stuff, the grace of God that we don't understand. And the older you get in the Lord, you go, I don't understand it even more now. I thought I understood grace when I first got saved. And now the more and the more and the more I go, I don't understand grace because God is so loving and kind no matter what. But he's not mocked. And whatever a man sows, he will also reap it. He's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be ridiculed. He's not going to let you drag his name through the mud. You have to reap the things, although his grace and mercy hmm, is so amazing. So look at this. Um, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. Let me say again. Uh, are you endeavoring to do what's right in the sight of the Lord? Well, how do we know what's right? Well, right means what? Right living before God is righteousness. That's what the, the layman's term for righteousness is that Christ gave us, is his rightness, his righteousness. To, to look in, in, in a heart that's turned toward God that said, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, is a heart that should be looking for, well, what is right? How can I walk in the right way? How can I go in the right way? How can I sow the right seed? How can I get other people to walk in the right way? Hey, come follow me. We want to go in the right way. We don't want to be in the left way. Who wants to be in the left way? Who wants to be the loser? See, so he didn't do what was right. What a testimony, because the kings of the southern tribes of Judah, mainly they did, they kept the high places, but they didn't even worship at the high places. They just didn't want the people to be mad, and the people were already serving at the high places, so instead of taking them down, they let the people do what they were doing and let them keep some peace in, the, the, in Judah. That's the testimony, but now we're going to see that Ahaz is the first king of the southern tribe that actually worshipped at the high places. He actually followed the people, and he worshipped in the same place that they worshipped in the high places. So listen, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. Notice the plumb line. The Lord his God. Notice who we should be following. Notice where the right should come from. It should come from the Lord his God, not from the world, not from the people around us, but from the Lord. And this is the word of God here that we're looking at. This is how we know what is right. This is how we walk in the right way, is to study the word of God and to draw near to him and allow his spirit to lead us. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. Are you endeavoring to walk in the right way? Are you endeavoring to keep the spirit of the bond of peace in the body of Christ? Are you endeavoring to find out what is right by getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship and saying, Lord, I want to know and I want to be able to be a witness for you? Notice now again the example given. 
sight of the Lord, but then as his father David had done. Isn't that interesting? Now you see, because I, I and you and we, we have seen David on the pages of Scripture. We have seen David sleep with Bathsheba. We have seen David kill Uriah. We have seen David break all Ten Commandments in the same week. But notice what it says. That David is the example. That he did not walk right in the sight of the Lord his God as his father David had done. Because God sees David as walking rightly. He put his sin away. And that's what he sees when he looks at you and me. If we believe in Jesus, then he sees us as having a right heart. Because he sees us as in the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that penalty's gone. So now that we can learn to walk outside of the penalty, I'm not afraid of falling short. Now I can begin to run this race with endurance and beat this flesh into subjection. And I don't get punished when I fall down, when I mess up. But my heart is going toward God. It's seeking God. Notice what it says that David was a man after God's own heart. It's actually not here, but that's what... That's what the testimony that God gives of David. He was a man after God's own heart. What are you after today? Think about it. These are, these, are, these are things that we need to find out what we're doing. Are we really trying to find God's heart? Are we really looking to hit the mark? Are we really going, wow, I've been set free from the penalty, and now the Holy Spirit wants to, to, to lead me in the right way so that I can set free from the power of sin, and soon I'll be set free from the presence of sin? Are we really looking at that in our lives today? Is our position, our inheritance, our place where we can learn to be led by the Spirit of God and have a heart that's not just positionally right, but practically we are pursuing the heart of God. We understand that we hurt the heart of God when we sin. And if, if, if your plan is not to walk right in the sight of the Lord, as David did. Listen, David was a man. Every man in the Bible except for Jesus sinned. But David was quick to repent. David was a man after God's own heart. And he seen his sin was against God. He understood what was going on. And he would quickly repent. So what are you looking to do? This is something we need to understand. Because if that's not the activity, if that's not the way our life is, if we're looking just to get fire insurance and we think because of our work of going to church or going to Bible study, I'm carrying my Bible, I'm reading my Bible, I'm pretty good. Those are none of the things that really go along with this. In Christianity, we're supposed to be looking for the heart of God. And the heart of God is Jesus Christ. He's the plumb line. He sent his heart down here to die for us. And we want to be like Christ. We want to be like that love. And so we want to pursue that. And the quicker we admit that we're not like that, but we've been given this position. We've been given this inheritance. We've been given this power to walk in a manner worthy of God and bear fruit in all respects. But we have to turn our heart toward home. We have to come to our senses and understand that the devil is trying to planeo us. The world is trying to planeo us. That our flesh is trying to planeo us. And that means deceive us. 
That means to cause us to roam and to wonder and think that these idols over here and these idols over here are better places to spend our heart when in fact they lead to death. If we sow to that flesh, we're going to reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap everlasting life with God. So here's the testimony because we're seeing the finality also of the southern tribes. We're going to see them lose the very first city tonight in chapter 16. Chapter 17, next week, we're going to see the northern tribes completely taken by Assyria. But they're not just going to lose one city tonight, but you're going to see them in their true color when their heart comes out and they pay the world to protect them. And the reason I want to tell you this is because this is an ugly picture. These are written as examples of what we should not do. It's an ugly picture of what the church is doing today, God's bride. Instead of coming to him for help, we go to the world for help. And the, and the, and the Old Testament has this whole nation that's living this way. And God gives us this whole example, but it's about our personal relationship. Are we going to do the same thing in apostasy, asleep, and for time of help go down to Egypt? Or are we going to come to God? Where are we going to turn? See, if we're men after God's own heart, we're always going to turn to God. If we understand that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus, we're going to turn to God, to his word. If we understand our identity and how much God loves us and the grace and mercy that he's given us, we're going to turn to God. There's no other help. There's no other hope. There's no other home. There's no other place for your heart to be but with God. To turn it toward home, he's capable of changing us and renewing our minds. And it's amazing to see that David was a man after God's own heart. Even though we see he had said, whose heart are you after? Verse 3, contrast. Anytime you see but, you have a contrast. But he walked. Walk is how you're living. This is how he lived his everyday life. What he was occupied with, if it was in the Greek. We've been studying that in the New Testament. In the way of the kings of Israel. Oh my goodness, really? So now apostasy has fully come to the southern tribe. Notice what it says. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Well, what was their way? Remember the golden calves. Remember ignoring God, ignoring the prophets. See, all this started with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat made a deal and went to war with Ahab and, and tried to, to, to make peace with the northern tribes to bring everything back together. And Jehoshaphat ends up allowing his son to marry Ahab's daughter. And here it comes married into the southern tribe. And that's what the devil does. He tries to get us to marry into. If he can't get us to walk away from God, he tries to get us to marry the world. If he can't get us to walk away from God, he tries us just to compromise, just to wander off a little bit in this area or that area and draw us in till eventually we walk completely away from God and according to the abominations of the other nations. So he walked in the way. What way are you walking in? Is it the way, the truth, and the life? Are we keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus? This is what we should be doing. Listen, 
All of us got issues. All of us need to cancel subscriptions because God's working this out of us. But where are you turning? Where are your eyes fixed? What is your heart pursuing? In sanctification, all of us are being sanctified. Nobody has finished the race. But one thing I do, Paul said, is forget that which is behind me. And I press onward. I press onward toward the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. He stops looking in the rearview mirror. And his sight is set upon God. And he's looking forward. He's looking onward and upward. And he has been forgiven of that which is behind him. And he forgets that. He doesn't let the dog that bit him 30 years ago, three days ago, keep controlling his life. He moves on and he grows and gets his eyes and his heart back on what God has called him to do. So he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Golden calves, apostasy. Indeed, look at this. Indeed, here's his testimony. He made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Now, remember, he cast out the nations before because of their uh, uh, false gods and their killing their children. And the main one was uh, Molech. There's several other ones. There's Asherah, there's Baal. But Molech, um, Molech was this golden statue now pay attention to what they do they had this golden or excuse me this this hot molten statue iron statue and its arms were out like this and he was a god of fertility and so what they do they start a big fire on him and his arms would get hot and then they go have sex they'd have a baby and they come and lay that baby up on them hot arms of molech and burn it up and, and, and you might think, oh my goodness, that's horrible. No, it's horrible that, that two hours before they were in the temple of God at the hour of prayer. Two hours after they're in the temple of God at the hour of prayer. That night they're in the temple of God at the hour of prayer. So three times a day they're still in the temple of God saying we're worshiping God. Yet they take their babies and they put them on the hot molten arms of, of Molech and sacrifice them. And this is what Ahaz did with his son. He made him pass through the fire. And, you know, we think, oh, well, we're, we're so much better than that today. We don't make our kids pass through the fire. Listen, we have been sacrificing kids in this nation to careers. Oh, gee, you thought I was going to say abortion. We're not even to abortion yet. To careers, to our lifestyles, to, to the education system, then to abortion. Think about it. A nation that does not take care of their elderly or their kids, they are not a nation that's serving God. Look at our nation. We're aborting babies in the womb. Oh, really? We have 60 million. Oh, uh, in the womb up until the ninth month. Are you kidding me? No, California is trying to pass one that you can kill them up to 20 to 8 days afterwards. This is the same worship. It's the same thing. And you think it's not a big deal? Now we don't have baby formula. First we trick all the women. Now, I know there's medical problems where some women can't lactate and they can't feed their babies. But first we trick all the women to give babies infamil with all these chemicals in them. They shouldn't be getting them when there's natural breast milk that God has already provided. We went to the world. We went to their system. We went to their pharmacy. And now they purposely come up with, what? A shortage 
purposefully because they don't care about kids. They do not care about our kids, people, and, and, and they're lying to you because Baal wants to see kids suffer. Baal wants to see them die. That same spirit is still existing today. He wants to see them die. That's what school shootings are about. We want to talk about this. We're not protecting them. We protect every single politician. We protect every single courthouse. We protect the gambling casinos. We protect football games. And we don't protect our children? This is Baal worship. It's Molech worship. It's putting our kids into the molten hot arms of the, of the spirits of Antichrist. And God has given us a commission to train our children in the way that they should go. Not to make them walk through the fire. Not to raise them up in the way of the world, but to raise them up in the way of God. And then we wonder, why are we coming to such ruin? Why is our country so lawless? Well, they're learning the ways of us, this world that's underneath the sway of the wicked one, and they're not learning the ways of God. They're being fed by the wicked one and not by God. They're being trained by video games and everything you can think of, demon spirits everywhere. And then we go, what's up with our nation? Why are we going like this? Why? I mean, listen, it's really simple to stop school shootings. There's not any gun on the planet that's walked into a school and shot anybody unless some evil heart had it in its hand. And you can talk about all this crazy stuff about getting rid of clips that have 15 shots. All you need is two guns with seven and you're almost there. You still got enough bullets to go in and shoot up a school. It's a bunch of lies to disarm the public. That's all it is. Because they're disarming the enemy. They're disarming the enemy. We're the enemy. We're the enemy of the devil. And that's what runs government is the devil. Somebody was saying it, and I thought, well, that's, that's very smart there. What do you do? You disarm the enemy. They're disarming Russia. They want to disarm Russia. And they want to disarm the American people. And they want to give weapons to Ukraine. They want to give weapons to Afghanistan. What about us? They want to disarm us because we're the enemy. They want to disarm us. Listen to me. It's not hard to stop school shootings. It's got nothing to do with guns. And I don't mean to be on a soapbox, but I'm on a soapbox. Because this is insanity for the church to listen to this stuff. And I hear Christians say, oh, yeah, there's no sense in having a clip. With Who cares how, much, how many bullets your clip holds? It's got nothing to do with what's going on. Nothing whatsoever to do with what's going on. And it's, it doesn't matter about the Constitution. It matters about truth. Truth. That's what it matters about. And the truth is not that they're trying to get the clips so the guns, because people won't shoot up schools. I think the statistic is that in all of the American prisons, there's only 2% of gun crimes in prison that actually got the gun legally. All the rest of them are illegal. That's because they're criminals. Immoral. They, 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 they're going to take what they want. And notice where all the shootings happen at. Gun-free zones. Listen, I could be on this soapbox for hours. Because it's just plain nonsense. The only thing that they want is they hate, they, they, they want to see Baal and, and Molech 
And, they, and, they, and this is the spirits of demons that want to see kids die. Want to see kids go through pain and punishment and suffering. Listen to me. That's the same thing he wants to see of you. How can a kid have a chance if he can't make it out of the womb? And how can he have a chance if we keep letting him be trained by Satan and by the spirit of this world? How can he have a chance? And this is what happened here. When a nation begins to go under, they're allowing demons to control their children. They're giving their kids over for careers. They're giving their kids over because they think they're going to make more crops and have more stuff as a nation. Even the king, even the leaders, this is what they're doing. And it's all deception. It's, the, it's who God has already judged. So he's already showed us that he wanted to kill every ite in the land because he was bringing judgment. He gave him a long time, 430 years, before the judgment would come upon this nation. And he brought the children of Israel across the Jordan and said, go in and kill them all, every man, woman, and child. And you know what people say? That God is a mean God in the Old Testament. He's murdering everybody. No, no, he was bringing judgment. And he's promised us again that judgment will come. And it will come. Just because it tarries doesn't mean that God's not going to bring judgment. We cannot continue to mock God and ridicule God and say, who cares about God and ignore truth. And that's what people are doing because it's written on every man's heart. They're, they're, they're completely ignoring God. They know in their own conscience when they're wrong. And they continue to harden their hearts and harden their hearts until they say, just kill them all. Kill them all. Make them sex slaves. Kill them all. Evil. Evil abounds. Lawlessness abounds. And this is what we see even in the tribe of Judah. Judah. That means praise. Judah means praise. He shall be praised. And even in that tribe, we see such abominations to make their sons pass through the fire. Or son is actually one son. Verse 4. And he sacrificed. Look what he did. Sacrifice is to kill something, to burn it. He sacrificed. to slaughter an animal to kill or offer it. He's offering and burned incense. Incense is like prayer on the high places. See, before it was just he didn't tear down. That was the testimony of all the kings of the southern tribe. They didn't tear down. They did all the good stuff, but they didn't tear them down. Listen to what he did. He sacrificed and he burned incense on the high places. He joined the people on the hills. And look at this, under every green tree. Now, see, he wasn't even going up to the northern tribe and worshiping them golden calves. He had the temple right there with him. He didn't go up there. Wait till you see his abominations. He changed the temple. He changed days and seasons and hours, just like the Antichrist is going to. He changed everything on them. And the people thought they were okay. The priests thought they were okay. That's why it's so important for you and me to read the Word of God. Or you'll listen to a good orator. I've got a friend who's listening to a good orator, and he just thinks the guy's just, a, he said, I'm in love with that pastor. He's such a good pastor. I said, he's from the pit of hell. 
Well, no. How, what do you mean? I said, well, if you don't know the truth, you'll listen to a good orator. has nothing to do with it. You have to know truth. You have no plumb line. If you don't know truth, you don't have the Spirit of God to discern for you. You'll walk in the ways of, of Baal and Molech and let your kids go through the fire. And you go, everything's fine in my house. And you're dying and going to hell. But for the grace of God. So, what did he do? He didn't worship. But look at this. Every green tree. That's every new tree. That's a fresh, the green. It's every new tree. That's exactly what the word means. He burned incense. He turned it to fragrance and fire. And he worshiped under every green. It was new. It was a new tree, right? What are we doing in our culture today? People are following everything that's new. So listen, if it's new, it's not from God. If it's from God, it's not new. What's the second thing that new means? Prosperous. What are we doing today? Blab it, grab it. Word of faith. We want to prosper in monetary goods, not spiritually. Listen, if God prospers you monetarily, that's so you can give back to his kingdom, so you can do more work. It's because your heart's already set on how you're supposed to be dealing with the kingdom of God. You understand that it's spiritual, not physical. It's not about getting stuff. It's about giving yourself away. And so when the new religion comes in, when the, the new evangelicalism comes in, it's always about, well, they must be doing good because they're prospering. There's a lot of people going there. He's making a lot of money. He's writing books and selling all kinds of them. He's having his best life now. And it's from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. It's a new tree. It's a high tree. It's an elevated place that makes you want in the flesh to get to where he's at. But it never, ever delivers you into heaven. It only delivers you into hell and makes you twice the son of hell than you were before because now you think you're okay and you don't have a desire to change because you think you're all right already because you said a prayer. And that's how the devil seduces you into following him. Every green tree. Oh, new, prosperous, flourishing. Somebody told me about Joe Olstory. He must be doing something right. He's filling up an entire stadium. Oh, he's flourishing in the ways of the world. He's not flourishing according to, the, to God. God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you shall be prosperous, and then you shall be of good success. Prosperity is not about money. It's about a heart toward God, in the sight of God, walking in the way of God, and letting Him do the rest of the work, and trusting and being content with that godliness that He gives you. And that life that he has before you. It's not climbing the corporate ladder. And it's just so funny. The tree can mean firmness. Wood or firmness, right? So we put the cross up. We put the wood up. And then it's firm. It's this stuff. Is there. Here's the new stuff. Come on. See what God's doing. There's a moving of the water over here. Come on. What God's doing. And then you're moving from thing to thing to thing, and you never have a rock. You never sit still. You never be still. You never let God change your life because you're too busy chasing lying signs and wonders. That's what the devil's doing to seduce us. Be still and read the Word of God and know that He's God and walk in the way that you're supposed to go. 
trust the Lord even when it hurts even when it's painful so he's sacrificing and say listen he's supposed to be the leader he's leading the people but he's not really the leader of spiritual things he's setting the tone of the kingdom but the leader of spiritual things is the priest but where are the priest at they're listening to the king See, that's just like the Christian that's listening to the government. They're listening to the king. That's just like the Christian that thinks the government's going to save them. They're listening to the king. They're not listening to God. Who are you listening to? Whose heart are you after? David was a man after God's own heart. That's the testimony we want. He's a man after God's own heart, and that's after Jesus. This is very... Listen... I am telling you, you need to specifically, with purpose, with all-out plan, with all-out abandon, with all, you, you, need to, you need to beat the flesh into subjection for sanctification. We need to make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do, not for salvation, but because of salvation. It's not for salvation. You simply believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. But if you do that, then you're going to want to be sanctified. If you do that and see that inherit, you're going to want to tell others about it. There's going to be a fire in your bosom that has to get out. You're not going to get saved and come to Jesus and the, and the God of the universe come and live in your heart and he's burning out, he's a consuming fire and he's trying to purify you and he's changing you and you're like, wow, how can I have been so blind? But now I see. And then you're going to go home and go, what's for dinner, honey? And sit down and never do nothing. It doesn't happen. That's religion. It's false. None of us are ever going to be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. But we've got to set our sights on home. And then spend time in the vine, in the word of God, in prayer, in fellowship. And say no to this ugly world and the incense on the high places. And every green tree that comes down the pike. Listen to me. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Think about this for a minute. We're talking about it on Sunday with the false preachers and what they would visit the cities and you weren't supposed to even let them in. If you let them in your door, then you're entertaining and taking part in their evil. Look at, look at what's going on, all these books and all this literature and stuff. They mail it to your house. They put it on Amazon. You buy all these books. You ignore the word of God and you read a book about God. Instead of spending time with God. And our whole nation is doing it. People tell me, oh, we're on Bible study on Tuesday night. What are you studying? Oh, it's a book by... Not by God? Not a book by God? It's a book by some fancy teacher? Listen to me. I am not being mean. But it would do us so well to know what the Bible says before you ever pick up somebody else's book because you could be following a green tree, a new cart. You could be following something that's elevated that just squeezes your flesh out and you go, I like what they're preaching. If they ain't preaching the Bible, how do you know if you don't know the Word of God, if you're not learning the Word of God, if you're not asking the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into all truth? So we let all these false teachers come into our house and we teach these books 
I know a pastor right now that's allowing one to be taught in his church, and the guy who wrote it is a pastor that openly says that he believes he's a woman in a man's body. And he wrote the book, and it's all about God. It saddens me. It saddens me. Saddens me. I guess we should say praise the Lord. Maybe he's not acting on it. We're going to get anywhere in this book. We're running out of time. What's the green trees in your life? Listen, this is the ancient of days. This is the word of God. This is the old past that we're supposed to be seeking. Not green trees. I want oaks of righteousness that have been standing. And I know their roots are firm. And they're down in the ground. And they're seeking the water. And they, we know where that comes from. Every new thing is coming from the devil. Verse 5. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remalia, king of Remalia, uh, king of Israel, that's the northern tribes, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. What's going on? Now listen to me. Listen to me. Assyria has come down, like I told you, in 529, and captured some of the people of the northern tribe. So now Syria and, and Rimalea, uh, or Pekah, I mean, have joined together, and they said, we got to do something. And, and if you look at the text, what they've done is they've asked Ahaz to fight with them. Let's all fight together, and we'll go against Tilgath-Pilazar of Assyria. We'll go against him, but Ahaz has said no, so they come down to attack him, and they're going to try to capture the weaker one first, and then take his soldiers so they'll have more to fight against Assyria. So they want to completely crush the truth who's already backslidden and worshiping under every green tree. So they want to build a stronger army. Ahaz doesn't want to be with them. God's grace, look, he's protected. They could not overcome him. Two nations, a lot more soldiers, a lot more resources, could not overcome Judah. Even though Judah is now worshiping at the high places, burning incense and sacrifices at the high places on every hill and every green tree. God is still giving grace and would not let them overcome them. But watch what happens. Listen, when God protects you, when God gives you grace, when God keeps you safe and you go, wow, that was a great battle. Where should I go? You should run to God and thank him. You should give him glory. You should say, thank you for not letting him overcome me. If your heart is really seeking God, it would be the first place you go. In fact, I would make it a habit if you listen to me. Listen, I make it a habit. I'm not telling you uh, everything about my life, but I make it a habit. If, if I don't hit somebody when they cross in front of me, all kinds of crazy stuff on the road in my life, I instantly thank God for it because he's the one that times everything. He knows where everything's going on. And it also trains your heart to be thankful. If I see a car broke down on the side of the road, I thank the Lord that mine keeps going. This is something we should be doing because we should be thanking the Lord for all things. God has made some vehicles that I've had go a long way and always provided. Listen to me. So what happens? 
Ahaz was not overcome by two nations. He won the battle. Now listen, he lost a bunch of guys, and he lost Elab. If you go into Second uh, Chronicles 28, you see that he lost a couple hundred thousand people. He lost a lot of people. But he did. they could not overcome him. There was casualties, but they could not overcome him. He should have been thanking the Lord. He should have been bowing his face to the Lord. He should have been crying out to the Lord. Listen, COVID killed a whole lot of people. COVID destroyed our nation. But it's really the lie behind it. It's really the spiritual force behind it. We've overcome sicknesses before. But listen to me. The enemy has attacked. The enemy is attacking God's allowing the enemy to come. A stronger enemy than we can actually handle to wake us up so that we'll cry out to him. We'll thank him that we're still alive. And we will draw closer to him. And we'll cut shaken awake from our sleep. And what are we doing as a nation? You know, you listen to Christians and they're like, I can't wait to get back to normal. I, I just can't wait. And churches and pastors, they're like, we're almost back to normal. We've got the food bank up and we're not wearing masks in Bible study. And all they want to do is go back to sleep. God's shaking them awake and all they want to do is get back to the normal sleep and apostasy that they had. He wants us to wake up and see how asleep we were. And we're like, we just want to get back to sleep. Would you leave us alone? Our nation is comfortable. Everything was provided for by the devil, by the government, not by God. He wants us to get out and get in the street. If we were doing what God told us to do, we'd be having a whole lot more influence in the world than what we're having. And by the way, pay attention to the UFO stuff because we're the aliens. If you're a real Christian, you're the alien thereafter. It ain't people in little spaceships. They're after the aliens, all right. I'm an alien. This is not my home. And they're after us. Death culture's after us. That's what they're coming for. Everything's geared toward killing God and God's people. The same way they killed God when he came to the planet. But they didn't have no power to do it. He allowed it. It was all part of his plan to redeem you and me. There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. Listen. Don't try to get to normal. Try to wake up and get to God. Be a man after God's own heart. Live for Jesus. Don't beg God to let's get back to normal so things I can be asleep and sit on my couch with the remote again. I won't have to worry about COVID. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? God's waking us up. 2020? He uses our own little idiosyncrasies where we say we have 2020 eyesight and he does all this in 2020 to say wake up church and go tell people about Jesus I'm getting ready to come get you we just need to wake up I'm sorry I get a little excited when we do this stuff what does Ahaz do what did he do he does exactly what we're doing in the church today he went to the world for help and gave all of his money to the world watch this verse 6 at that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath. So he lost one city, Elath, for Syria, and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwell there to this day. So they lost that bit of land. That's all they lost, one little city. So Ahaz sent messengers uh, to the priests to tell them to burn sacrifices to God and thank him for not allowing the other nations to overcome him. Is that in your Bible? It ain't in my Bible either. Listen, Tilgath Pilazar. Listen, it means um, thou will uncover 
the wonderful bond. That's what his name means. And what does God do with this trial? He uncovers the wonderful bond that Ahaz and the, wor- the, the, the church, the kingdom of God of Judah, has with the world. He uncovers what they really want to trust in. And that's what he's doing with us. He's uncovering this wonderful bond. Instead of us thanking God that we're alive and thanking God that we can go out and tell people the gospel, he's uncovering this wonderful bond that we're still running to the world and worried about the world and we're still worried about gas and we're still worried about all this little piddly stuff when God owns it all. And he will supply for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We should be bonding with him not running to the world. And what do they do? Oh, they took all their money from the temple, God's money, and gave it to the world. Watch this. Watch what happens. He sent messengers, ambassadors. He goes to the world for help, verse 7, and says, I am your servant and your son. He becomes a voluntary slave to the world, to the one who's attacking, to the one who's killing, Assyria. Didn't you say you thought Assyria was something to do with the Antichrist? Was that you that said that? Assyrian. I don't know. I know the Antichrist is leading the world. And they're going to the world. The one who's now coming up is power. But you know what? God's the one raising them up. He's allowing them to raise up to show the bond that we have to the things of this world. Show us where our faith is at. Show us where our hope is at. Show us where our strength comes from. It's not from God or we would be running to God. The churches would be full right now if it was people running to God. Yet the churches are empty. The churches are empty. People haven't come back. They're empty. Ask anybody. Boy, they're going to be in trouble with them big budgets they got. They're going to be in trouble. Them stained glass windows cost money. So he voluntarily, Ahaz, instead of joining with the northern tribe, which would have been somehow a bond, at least they were brothers and they were all Israelites and Hebrews, he sent messengers and voluntarily says, I'm your servant, I'm your son, I'll become your vassal. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And Ahaz, this is what he did, took the silver and the gold, silver is redemption, gold is deity, that was found in the house of the Lord. That's the only place you're going to find salvation. That's the only place you're going to find real deity is in the house of the Lord. He took it and in the treasuries of the king's house and he sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. He paid him. He gave it all to him as a donation, as a bribe, as a reward if he would come up and protect him. See, this is what the church is doing, going to the world for help, for protection, taking what belongs to God, the silver and the gold, the redemption and the deity that God has given us, and we give it all back because we're giving our heart back to something that can't even save us. Instead of turning to God and trusting in God. So the king of Assyria heeded him. He said, okay, I'll take that. Where the king of Assyria went up to Damascus and took it, carried it, carried its people captive to Kerr and killed Rezin. Took him two years to do it, I think over in 28, 
of Second Chronicles. Um, Ker means fortress. So he carried him off to a fortress, to a wall. Now King Ahaz, here's what King Ahaz does next. He went to Damascus. You saved me. Now I'm going to go back to the world and go to Damascus and meet Tilgath Pilazar. Uh, that will uncover the wonderful bond. King of Assyria. Did I have that? A step. Oh my goodness, really? Assyria means a step. See, one step to God or one step away. Whichever way you turn your heart, that's how far you are. You can step back to him or you can step away from him. Assyria means a step. He took that step and he went there. What did he do when he got there? He saw an altar. He got there and he saw an altar. Do you see this? He gets there and he sees an altar that was in Damascus lust of his eyes and what does he do lust of his eyes lust of his flesh boastful pride of life wants to be pleasing to this worldly leader in Damascus and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern and according to all its workmanship then Urijah the priest built an altar according to all the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah the priest made it before king Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Listen, Urijah should have said no. He was the priest. He should have said no. Remember the last king? He came in, and they, 80 of the priests took him up out of the, the temple. And, and instantly, remember he had leprosy? And he ruled in the house behind and his son took over? We just studied that. Listen to me, I want to show you something. That God always is an ever-present help in time of need. God always makes a way of escape. When the enemy rushes in like a flood, what does God do? He raises up a standard. Listen to me. When this king, Ahaz, went down to Damascus and his heart seen that altar and he thought... Man, I want an altar like that. Because I want an altar like the world. I want to worship like the world does. And then he turns around and he goes, what will I do? I'll send it to Urijah. That should have been his wake-up call. Listen, Urijah means Jehovah is my light. See, this should be your wake-up call. This should be your way of escape. This should be like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not going to send this to Urijah. I'm not supposed to change the altar. I'm not supposed to change the way I worship. My heart's supposed to be for God, and he's already built a temple. He's already given us a specific plan. He handed it down to Moses. You can't change it. It's a shadow of things that are in heaven. It has to be built exactly like God said. But what happens when you go to the world? The world changes because you begin to say, I'm just going to kind of softly tell this. I'm going to win the world by just kind of being nice. I'm going to change the altar of God. I'm going to change the ways of God because I don't want to just be do what God said. That's not going to work. So when you want to win the world and you want to do it without the Spirit of God, you build altars like the world has. And then you begin to worship in the rock stadiums. You begin to worship in the bookstores. You begin to worship in all the coffee shops and the same haunts that they're living in, but you call them Christian. And it looks just like their world, and you win nobody. 
you win nobody. Everybody dies. Listen to me. Uriah means Jehovah is my light. It should have woke him up. So he's already got an altar. He already knows he's supposed to be worshiping in spirit and truth. He knows what his design is. In fact, if you went to Exodus 27, you would see all the way through when God's telling him, be careful. I'm going to gift artisans. I'm going to put my spirit in them. They're going to design it and make it exactly the way I told you to make it. It has to be done according to my spirit, saith the Lord. And yet now we have a king. He not only, listen, look how far we've fallen. He not only is redesigning the altar, but it says there in, what is it, 13? That he came back and he made, oh, it's 12 at the end, made offerings on it. Now, it sounds like he did it. Because next we're going to see that Uriah makes some offerings on it, but it sounds like the king actually birthed them anyway. Now, God wouldn't have any problem with that because it's not his altar. It's not his altar. Are you trying to rebuild the altar of God with the things of the world? Joining with the king of Assyria or Damascus? That's the oldest city. It's got a woe against it, Isaiah 17. That's where they're getting ready to attack from when they go up against Israel again. When, when Gog and May, the battle of Gog and Magog, and they lead four Muslim countries against the northern borders of Israel. Ooh, some stuff getting ready to happen and break off. What's the altar in your heart like? That's the only altar you should have is the altar in your heart where you're worshiping God at the altar in the heart that's trying to do what's right in the sight of God because you're trying to be a person after God's own heart because of the spirit of God in you because you've been set free from the penalty and now you want to be sanctified and practically be released from the power because of the practice of your heart that's been given to you the new heart of flesh not of stone 13 so he burned his burnt offering now that's full dedication if you go back into Leviticus, you read the first five chapters, you're going to see that a burnt offering was a full dedication. That's what Christ did. He became a full dedicated burnt offering for us. And his grain offering, really, that's a meal offering. It's a meat offering in the King James. That's really a, a recipe for bread. That's Jesus also. He's burning these. But see, now he's worshiping the wrong God at the wrong altar for the wrong reason because he's already been, it's a new green tree. Now he's got a whole new altar because of all this newness. He's walked clear away. He's been seduced. He's got a whole new religion. It's a new evangelicism that thinks black lives matter, that thinks uh, uh, men can marry men and women can marry women, that thinks it's okay to abort babies, thinks it's okay. Listen to me. This is all the new stuff that's entered into Christianity or what some would call Christianity, but it's not Christianity it's a form of godliness that denies the power thereof because there is no altar of God available. See, because when you alter God, you've gotten rid of the altar of God. You can't alter God's word. And he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering. That's a fellowship offering. That's Christ also. He is our peace on the altar. He also brought the bronze. Listen, see, here's the real altar. The bronze altar, which was before the Lord from the front of the temple. Uh, now, now, let's get rid of that bronze thing. 
You know what bronze is? Bronze and brass is always judgment. So when you came to bring an offering, you would see the bronze, you would see the brass, you would know that sin was being judged there, and you would know what was happening. And he moves it from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. So his new altar's out there, his green trees out there, his false religions out there, and the bronze altar's behind it, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. So God's altar gets second place, and if you give God second place, he has no place at all. Judgment on sin has to be there. The bronze has to be there. Then King Ahaz commanded, Jehovah is my light, Uriah the priest, saying, on the great new altar, burn the morning and the burnt offering and the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the people in the land, their grain offering, their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So he takes that bronze altar and he privately takes it to do his own divination, to do his own little offerings and sacrifices on. He's completely flip God's kingdom upside down because he's apostate. He's lost. He's making up his own religion. We see it everywhere. And yet we still see the grace of God. He's going to inquire of God from his own personal altar. Isn't that what we got today? Everybody does what's right in their eyes because there's no king in the land. They have their own personal altar. They don't want to come and do it God's ways and come as the body of Christ with the spirit of God and the gift of God and bow down and give each other grace and mercy and be the people of God and the bride of Christ that he's called us to be. We want to have our own personal altar. I, mean, I wish I had a dollar. For, oh, I wish I had a dollar for the people that told me this in the last week. Oh, you don't go to church? No, I believe in God, but I do my own little worship. I got my own altar. I got my own place. I just do it out in the woods. And I like to hunt, and I go out there, and I just know that God's going to help me get some stuff. I mean, people do this all the time. I got my own way of worship. But God has prescribed how we should worship him. God has designed it where the body has to rely on each other, has to carry one another, has to help one another, has to extend grace and mercy to one another. And none of us are perfect, so when he puts us all together as the body and we're operating in our gifts, we become a perfect representation of Jesus Christ together. Nobody can do that on their own. Nobody can do that personally. You can't have your own private altar except for your own heart. Carry your own burdens. That's the rest of Galatians 6, by the way, guys. We're at the reaping part, but the front side of it is about what we should be doing to help one another. And everybody has to do his own part. It gets worse. Ready? It gets worse. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. So he's following the government, not God. Listen to me. You who follow the government and not God. If you're following QAnon, you're following the government, not God. You're following false religion. Believe me. If you're following anything other than what the Word of God says, you're following Satan's synagogue. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts 
removed the labors from them and took down the seed from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on the pavement of the stones. You have to go read about it. The sea was the water that was full that they washed the sacrifices in, um, washed their hands in, the priests would wash and clean in. Uh, a, a sea or many waters represents all the people is on these oxes. It's amazing what we're seeing here as he installs these idols. You think the golden calves were bad? Now he's redesigning the altar. This is more deceptive in itself than the gold calves. See, the gold calves, all the people knew for sure they were supposed to be in Jerusalem three times a year. The gold calves knew the system that God had set up, and they were supposed to be in Jerusalem and worship where God's presence was at. But now we're in Jerusalem, and we're changing the design of Jerusalem, which means teaching peace. So we change the design of all of that, and now people think they're in the right place when they're really outside the design of God. They're really outside what God has designed to worship him in spirit and truth. And they desecrated the altar, just like uh, in the Maccabean revolt, just like when... Antonius Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on it. It's the same type of thing. And yet people who say they serve God are doing it. He cuts off the handles, which were, they were only supposed to touch it. They're supposed to, to carry it that way. Put it on a pavement stones. Changes everything about the temple. What's changing in your life? Are you worshiping according to spirit and truth? According to God's instruction? See, that's what we're supposed to do. All, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore, on this name, this authority, this will, make disciples, teach people, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then what? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't teach them to have a private altar. Don't teach them to do what they want to do. Don't teach them to follow the government. Teach them to obey what he said. You can't do that without the Spirit of God. You don't even know what he said without the Spirit of God guiding you and uncovering this truth. We don't even know. But there's a lot of spirits out there that wants us to follow them. And listen, here's default. If you are not actively pursuing and asking the Holy Spirit of God to lead you and guide you, then you're following Antichrist spirit. You're following another spirit. It's that simple. Listen to me. If the spirit of God's not leading you, then some other spirit has to be. Whether it's your sin, whether it's yourself, whether it's Satan, it doesn't matter. It all ends up in death. It all ends up in destruction. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if you sow to the flesh, you will with the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, with the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. He doesn't stop there. 18. Also, he removed the Sabbath pavilion. Now, I guess that's a little place where they would... Uh, a celebrate on the Sabbath. I don't know. We need to go back into Leviticus and, or excuse me, Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and, and go over all these things again and go through them and show you the layout where they would come into the to the court and there would be the Gentiles court and then, then there's the women's court and you could only go so far and then you would go all the way to where you went into the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go. People were allowed to enter in by their cleanness or uncleanness. 
And that's what these stains were for. He removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. Notice that? Notice that? Did you guys get that? Did you see that line? It's got a comma, and it says, Why did he do all this? On account of the king of Assyria. He was trying to impress the king of Damascus. King James says, for the king of Assyria. Same uh, thing. <laughs> for the king. He was doing it for the world. He was doing it for the government. He was doing it to impress the one that he said, I'm your servant. I'm your son. Here I'm paying you. I want to have an altar like you. I want to do things like you. I want to be like you. Listen, that's where his heart was at. He wanted to be like the king of Damascus, the king of Assyria. Not his heart after God. Not be like Christ. Not be like God Almighty, but be like the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For the love of uh, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the and the desire for it. Trying to remember the last line. But he who poof. It's abiding in God, I know that. I'm sorry. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Man, I couldn't even get that out. I thought I got that whole verse there and then I dropped it. But he who does the will of God, not the will of the world, not the will of Damascus. Not the will of Assyria. Not performing to please the world. Not looking to be like the world. See, that's what I, I keep saying. All these people that sign all these contracts. I don't know. You get, I can get in trouble, but nobody listens to my videos anyway. But everybody signing these contracts with the world are controlled by the world. And the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. You can't sign contracts with people. Well, you know what a mortgage is? Mort is the word for death. It's a death grip. It's a contract with the world where you pay twice the amount of what they inflated the place to be. And it's a death grip on your life. It puts you in bondage. That's what mort means, mortgage. Death grip. It's true, too. 19. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Listen to this. So, Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried in his father, with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Listen, that's grace to be buried with your fathers in the city of David. As apostate as this man was, he still got to be buried in the tomb of the kings. That's pretty insane to me, as apostate as he was. But lawlessness abounds. 17, we're going to see. Israel, the northern kingdoms, go into complete captivity. Where's your heart? Are you looking for every green tree? Where have you set your sights on? Listen, listen, listen. I'm here to tell you that the southern kingdom, Judah, when the kings allowed the high places to stay there, that was evil. That's, that's Romans 132. If you don't speak out against it, silence is approval. If you don't speak out against it by 
preaching the truth, you're approving of it. And if you approve of it, you receive the same award reward as they're going to get death. When you approve of it, we are called to be witnesses that that is evil. So when the kings would come on the throne and they wouldn't tear down the high places, they were approving of the people worshiping there. So we're called to speak out against it. We're the only purifying factor in the world. And in fact, when the restrainer, the Holy Spirit in us, and we're taken out, that's when all hell is going to break loose on the planet. The only thing stopping it right now is the morality that we would preach because of the Word of God. Not because we're so perfect, but because the Word of God is perfect, it's inerrant. And the reason it's so weak and anemic is because we've stopped preaching it. We've stopped teaching it. And we've joined with and changed the altars of, and we're giving our hearts to the king of this world. And we don't even know it. Father, thank you for your word. And we just pray you wake us up. Shake us awake. We know your word says arise from your sleep. Awake from your sleep and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. So find out what the will of the Lord is and be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Lord, that we could do that. Lord, that we could surrender and stop tearing down your bronze altar. Stop getting rid of your sea and your handles and everything that you've given us. Lord, thank you for such a great salvation. Thank you for your son, Jesus. May we not alter him one bit, but may we preach the truth in love and allow you to change lives as their conscience is receiving your word. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Raise up soldiers. Raise up an army to preach your gospel by your power for your glory for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.